two of This Week in Sports History. My name is Ben Frazier, and this week we have a special episode that surrounds the fifth year anniversary of former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick sitting during the national anthem as a form of protest against police brutality. While the kneel is more well known as his form of protest, the action by Kaepernick began on August 26th in a preseason game against the Green Bay Packers in San Francisco. This action is what started all of the protests to follow. Kaepernick's action took both the NFL and world by storm, and Kaepernick would continue to kneel until he opted out of his contract from the 49ers after he was told by the team he would be released following the season. In the five years since the initial kneel, we have seen politics and sports become more and more intertwined, and different sports leagues become increasingly aware of said issues. To discuss the issues surrounding Colin Kaepernick and the fallout of his protests, as well as some predictions for the upcoming NFL season, I have a special guest. Managing editor of the Western University Gazette, staff writer at Raptors Inside, Lambeau Avenue contributor for Fansided, columnist for Canada Football Chat and Vanier Cup champion with the Western Mustangs, Alex McComb. Alex, welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Thank you, love to be on. So Alex, I just wanted to know, before we discuss Colin Kaepernick, I just wanted to get some predictions for the upcoming NFL season. Who do you think is a team to watch this year in the NFL? You know what? I'm usually I'm usually not biased about this. I think the last time I was uh, talking to you, I said I think it was maybe last year or two years ago. I said I thought that this, uh, the the uh, New Orleans Saints were the team to watch uh, because they were heartbroken so many times with the Minneapolis miracle and the the uh, pass interference um, miss by the uh, the ref. But I. With the whole Aaron Rodgers situation happening over the summer and the last dance uh, picture posted by Devontae Adams and, and Aaron Rodgers, I do think that the Green Bay Packers are the team to look at the most. I think we've already been doing that over the past month because of what Rodgers has been doing and he, what he's been saying in the media and on the Pat McAfee show. I do think that my Green Bay Packers are the team to watch. Uh, now, there are other teams. I do think that individual players i think justin herbert is a player to watch i know you like him a lot um i just don't know if he has the team around him to do that i think they got their their offensive their top offensive lineman in the draft this year um so i think he's excited about it but i don't think they're a team yet to watch uh this year um possible other team is also in the nfc north and that's the bears with justin fields uh, Khalil Mack can really get into his element this year. I know the defense has been doing decently well over the past few years, but Justin Fields could be that icing on the cake that they needed that they didn't have with, with Mitchell Trubisky. I, I think that Kansas City's uh, dynasty is kind of dying a little bit. I think we're seeing a similar trend that the Seahawks saw when they ran up when their two-year um, tenure in the Super Bowl. And then kind of fell off a little bit. So we might see a little bit of that with Kansas City. I still think that the Packers are the, the one team to look at this season. I think they're that that last dance team that uh, could make a run and could uh, could be the subject of a documentary someday if it all happens, if, if everything goes according to plan. And I'm actually uh, uh, I'm actually glad you mentioned Justin Herbert and the L.A. Chargers because a lot of experts are paying the AFC West as a very excellent division this year with the obviously the Chiefs on top, but the Chargers are one of the, an up and coming team 
led by a sophomore, Justin Herbert, who showed in his rookie season that he is the guy in Los Angeles. And with a revamped offensive line and uh, through, via the draft and a revamped secondary uh, for the most part, I'm wondering, is the AFC West your division to look at if you want really entertaining football this year? I do. And um, I think they can also be, uh, Denver can also be pretty good. Um, Kansas City, although, although I did say that they're kind of falling off, I don't, I don't necessarily think they'll fall out of the top 10. I just don't think they're going to get into another Super Bowl, but they're going to be a regular season um, dynamite team. I, I just really like Herbert because he uh, he came in in the beginning of, la of last season and stole the show. He showed me and others that he was a clutch player, and that's something that both Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady had at the beginning of their careers when they actually started playing. I think it was uh, when Rodgers started, it was, I can't remember, Chris Collinsworth or some, someone like Chris, I think it was Chris Collinsworth who said, oh, you're never on Aaron Rodgers first snap oh he's never gonna he's never gonna be or the Packers are not gonna win games with Aaron Rodgers at under center and then we all know what happened after that so I just think uh Herbert wasn't was was very much under the radar uh, when he was drafted and after he came in this season I think he's one of the um he could most definitely be an MVP candidate this year if his team around him can um prove that they can perform as well I got to I got to ask who's your NFC champion, your AFC champion and your Super Bowl winner this year. I've got Green Bay as the NFC champion. AFC is a little bit tougher. I and when I say NFC champion, I do think that they're going to uh beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think the Buccaneers are going to go back to the NFC championship and Green Bay is going to get their revenge. Um AFC I'm going to have to say um, yeah, I'd, I'd say the Bills. I think it's Bills-Packers this year. Um, I think Josh Allen is going to be way too good to stop. I, I hope that most teams don't have um, COVID issues like they did last, last year, with, uh, with, especially with the Tennessee Titans, with those 22 players um, being off for uh, two weeks, I think. Um, and I know I think Josh Allen is unvaccinated, so um, I hope they don't have any issues. If Josh Allen can stay healthy the whole year, I think that uh, he's a prime AFC candidate, but I do think the Packers are going to win. And that's my rather biased opinion, although I'm usually not biased. I did have New Orleans and other teams before this. I never really picked the Packers to win, but this year I have a different kind of feeling. And just to get into Colin Kaepernick, on August 26th will be the five-year anniversary since his initial kneel. And I wanted to, before we get into the, uh, for lack of a better word, consequences of that, Neil, and the changes it made to the NFL and sporting world as a whole, can you explain what kind of player and uh, what kind of impact Colin Haberneck had as quarterback for the 49ers in his uh, first few years? Well, he started off pretty well, um, especially in his 20. 13, 2014, he did pretty well. His last two years, he did have a slump. But we have to remember the first thing you kind of think of when you think of Colin Kaepernick, other than the social activism, he did bring a team to the Super Bowl against Baltimore. He did lose, but that's more than what Warren Moon and Phillip Rivers can ever say about their careers. Well, they, they could never um, get to Super Bowl in their career. Um, Phillip Rivers just, just retired, so that was the end of his chances there. Um and as and he but he did have as I mentioned he did have that slump in the past two years where he kind of went underneath um, 2,000 yards but that's not 
really different than what happened with maybe Jim Plunkett. He was released from like two different teams in the seventies, came to the Raiders as a backup quarterback, starting quarterback gets injured. He takes the team to the Super Bowl. He does the same exact thing three years, three years later, starting, he's, he's a backup again. He, did, he apparently didn't, didn't uh, make his um, presence known that year, even though he was the MVP at Super Bowl 15, three years later, he becomes the backup quarterback again to the Raiders. Starting quarterback gets injured. He takes some to the Super Bowl again. So who's to say that Kaepernick can't have that same kind of thing after after initial slump? Kaepernick's slump was two years. Jim Plunkett was over a decade. Not not sorry, over, over a decade, but over the decade he had a number of um, years where he just didn't perform to the way people wanted him to. He was never really that starting guy for two different teams. And uh, I just think that people are assuming Kaepernick is just going to stay the way he was in those last two years. And I think people, when they think of Colin Kaepernick, obviously his, as you said, his social activism is the first thing that pops into his head. But I think people underestimate, in, especially in the, uh, when the 49ers were at the upper echelon of the NFL, how good of a mobile quarterback he was through, through not only through the air, but uh, on the ground. Can you explain how good those 49ers 49er teams were and how Kaepernick contributed to that this was very yeah exactly like this was uh like the mobile quarterback was popular back when Randall Cunningham and uh well not popular sorry was kind of first coming out when Randall Cunningham and Michael Vick were in their primes but it kind of slowly decreased and pocket court quarterbacks were the were like the thing of the uh early 2000s but um it wasn't really until Kaepernick because Will uh, Russell Wilson wasn't the thing until 2014, 2015. It was uh, Kaepernick was kind of like that restart for mobile quarterbacks. He was that first kind of that next age of, of uh, mobile quarterbacks. So he brought to uh, he brought uh, a dynamic play style to the 49ers that other teams just didn't have at that point. We now have a lot of teams who have that Lamar, ja- Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravers is is that player even Aaron Rodgers as well he's the kind of guy that who runs to pass you don't see him in the pocket very much that's that's partly that's a result of what Kaepernick was able to bring to the 49ers and it's what a lot of offensive coordinators are implementing into their system just so that they don't have to re- rely on a sole pocket passer like maybe like a Peyton Manning or Tom Brady who doesn't really come along very often anymore it's it's we're seeing more dynamic quarterbacks from uh, all over college football make it into the NFL. And Kaepernick also beat out uh, Alex Smith for the job in San Francisco, but, and Alex Smith's career was ruined and still is being decimated by injuries. But I, I don't think it's any small uh, tribute to say how good Kaepernick was to beat Alex Smith out for that job. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, like, Alex Smith has been able to be successful in other teams as well. Um, but I think, I think Kaepernick was just, um, he, he knew, I think he was going to be the starting quarterback. He knew that uh, he was going to be um, success, su- successful as one of the newer uh, um, mobile quarterbacks, I guess. And Alex Smith was more of a, um, a guy to teach uh, different ways of playing the quarterback position from the pocket, how to pass properly, how to be a good 
um, how to be a good leader, how to be a good person in the community. That's kind of what Alex Smith was to me. He was that leader. He was not someone who immediately um, who immediately came out as like a Hall of Fame quarterback or someone who thinks that he's or someone who is is going to be a top ten quarterback in any given year. Um, he was he he seemed more like a uh, the leader guy who would teach the the next wave. And Kaepernick um, understood that, and he was able to eventually take on starting quarterback role. And I think he can do it again at some point. And pivoting to the actual events of his kneel, on August 26th, uh, 2016, Kaepernick did the, the initial kneel in a preseason game. And is, is uh, excuse me, his initial message that he was trying to uh, – put out to the world was to protest uh, uh, police brutality. And he did so during the national anthem by taking a knee. Do you believe there's a reason why that message became so corrupted against what he intended so quickly? Because people immediately jumped on the idea that he hated America, which he did not. He wanted to make it better. If you have a dirty car, are you going to take it to the car wash or are you going to say no i love this car i'm never going to change the way it looks no that it's it, it's completely ridiculous that he they they thought that he hated america just because he did this during the national anthem uh people believed he was disrespecting the military but that couldn't be farther from the truth so i come from a background where i'm an athlete and i come from a military background i'm a military brat uh my dad is a retired colonel in the uh, royal canadian air force spent uh, four decades as a pilot, was one of the 150 Canadians to uh, break the speed, break the speed of sound in, in a uh, 104 Starfighter. Um, he was in the Allied Tactical Air Force in uh, Baden-Sulligan, Germany during the Cold War, where he would be in the air um, surveilling the Czechoslovakian border. And he was on the ground in a number of peacekeeping missions just to make sure the USSR wasn't doing anything funny. 10 years later, he was in Bosnia and during the Balkans conflicts and spent a lot of time in the air and on the ground. And he eventually had to also plan his wedding in Bosnia. Um, but that I'm just to say that I'm just saying that I understand both the athlete and the military perspectives. And I know that what Kaepernick did was right. And I mean, do people still not understand that it was a army green beret that told him that he should kneel? I think he was at first he was sitting and then the army green beret wasn't very happy with that. So he instructed he, told, he basically advised Kaepernick to kneel instead, and that was a much more uh, respectful sign for the military because when whenever you go to a military um, graveyard, you kneel in front of their graves to give respect. That was something that was advised by the Army Green Parade to Kaepernick um, to give a more respective stance. Um, like I, I know I because so I, so I know what it's like to have pride in my military uh, and first responders, but this protest had nothing to do with that. It was simply a protest against police brutality and Kaepernick realized he was living in a country that prides itself on freedom and liberty, but rears its head when it starts to see black and racialized people killed by police at a disproportionate rate compared to white people. That's why he was protesting. There may have been other reasons, but that was the main bullet point of his protest. Nobody seemed to understand that. Nobody wanted to believe in that, but it was the exact reason. And it was that's why it was a very valid protest to make. Um, and it was pure ignorance that people couldn't see that. 
Um, and by the way, it's it's not really when you when you hear people talk about oh it's disrespectful to the military. It's not usually people who are in the military saying that. It's people who think they're in Call of Duty, and and speak on behalf of the military. People often think that um, the military has this has this view that anytime someone kneels during the national anthem, that it's it's disrespectful. My dad went to Bosnia because. Uh, in the former Yugoslavia in the 90s, they weren't allowed to do certain things that we can't that we can do, which is which includes protest against your government when you believe it's doing something wrong. To have a rule in place where you can't do that anymore in the United States or Canada would be would be um, would mean that those soldiers who went to Bosnia died in vain. If my dad died in Bosnia. Uh, he would have died in vain if this if there was ever some court of um, some sort of like federal law where uh, people who kneel during the national anthem are put in jail. So that was, I think, the main the main part of that. I'm very glad you mentioned the Green Beret because not a lot of people are aware of Kaepernick's initial move to ask that Green Beret what the most appropriate way to make, uh, for lack of a better word, make aware of the epidemic of police brutality in the United States. And what um, I'm wondering from your perspective, why the, the NF, uh, why there's such a large disconnect between sports and politics when, the, when they're far more connected than people would like to think? Because there's a lot of um, white baby boomer stockholders who see these athletes as only athletes and want them to sing and dance and collect the check. And that's it. They don't want them to be anything more than athletes. These, the, some of these athletes are, are like, like uh, the Canadian, um, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, he's a doctor. He's much more than an athlete. There are NFL players who have gone on to become lawyers. There's Justin Tuck just became, I think, a senior vice president at um, Goldman Sachs. I think he was on, on Wall Street. Like these, these athletes are way more than just athletes. And there's a problem where some people just think that once you enter the, the workforce as a professional athlete, that's all you're ever going to be. So that's why I think there's some sort of disconnect between the fans and the players. Because when you, people who work other jobs other than uh, being a professional athlete, they can be like, they can be philanthropists, they can be volunteers, they can be their, their son or daughter's um, soccer coach. They can be anything they want other than their work. But when it comes to professional athletes, it's okay. You're just being put into this box and you can just be a student or not a student athlete, but professional athlete. You can only do this. So I think uh, that's a big problem when it comes to um, people, especially racialized uh, athletes trying to um, promote some sort of social, social justice cause that means a lot to them because of lived experiences and other people's lived experiences. Why do you think the NFL, and to a lesser extent, the rest of the sporting world, reacted the way they the way they did? And what I mean by that, some the NFL, for the most part, didn't the administration wise didn't really crack down on it initially because they were looking to see what would happen, and the uh, other leagues and their athletes began to show similar signs of protest: some kneeling for the anthem, some doing showing support for Kaep Kaepernick in other ways why do you think the sporting world was so varied in the way they supported and and or did not support Kaepernick 
Well, especially at the higher ranks of the NFL, um, there were a lot of people who were afraid of supporting him because that would mean they might lose a lot of stockholders who have a lot of money in the NFL. And the best way to maybe uh, keep their profits running high is to silence him and to kind of take him out of the league completely. They, they were just so they were just so afraid of their bottom line and the revenue that they would that they were willing to take a player out and go completely against their their values and their morals. Um, and um, like it, it was it was pure money and ignorance that went into those decisions. And other sporting leagues and other and uh, I'll, I'll use the NHL as the as an example because it's more of a uh, for not a politically conservative, but more of a conservative as in attitude and a lot of athletes keep them themselves, keep them their political views themselves. Why do you think there's such a difference between how the uh, the NFL operates with its players, the relation in the relationship between ownership and players and there's a, and differences between other sporting leagues like the NHL, like the NBA and, uh, and major league baseball. Well, for one thing, right off the bat, the NHL is predominantly white. They don't understand the problems that black and racialized people have. I talked last summer. Um, I talked to two uh, black student athletes on the Western men's hockey team and they told me a whole lot of stuff that I had no idea what was going on. They basically, they can't call out any racism that, that happens in their locker room because they know they're going to be sent down to the minors or they're going to be cut or they're going to lose a roster spot or they're going to be put down to the fourth line. If they say anything, they're going to be a social pariah on the team. A former Calgary player came out with a bunch of stories. Yeah, Akeem Aliu, he had a whole... Um, a whole written article about his stories from all the way from, I think it was the Niagara ice hog or some OHL. The Niagara ice dogs. Yes. Nice dog. Yeah. Ice dogs. I think he was on that team. Um, About the stories he had there and some, the ECHL where I think it was like either the equipment manager uh, showed up to a party in blackface and everyone expected uh, Akeem Ali would take a picture with him, which he did, but I know, but I knew, I could see in his face that he was so much in pain, but he couldn't say anything because he, he knew that if he said anything, it would be, his career would be over. That's why he felt like he needed to wait those 10 years so that he could rise in the ranks in the NHL and become a very good player and then retire and then come out with this whole expose. I, I just wish that in his career, he was able to, I understand why he did it. I just wish um, I just wish now that that players can see that and now they can now they can start to tell their stories before they get to a, a higher position in the NHL or or um, get drafted into the OHL. I, I, I hope they know that they can now talk about these things and talk about their racial abuse. Um, so back to the whole NHL versus NFL, I think the NFL is 75 percent uh, black, the, the starting rosters, at least. Um, so there is a difference in the, the understanding and the, and the edu- education. The NFL is, I think, doing a lot better in the past year ever since George Floyd. It's sad that it took our, George Floyd's death to understand that the NFL made a mistake. Goodell uh, told everyone that he made his mistake and he did. Um, but it's sad that it took that kind of that kind of um, um, image and that kind of uh, that death and Breonna Taylor and and uh, others, Tamir Rice 
all these people. It, it shouldn't have taken this long to understand this. It's, 20, it's been 2,021 years since AD or whatever. I should not have taken this long to deal with it. And the NHL, it's, it's just, um, I think it's too whitewashed. I think there's, there should be way more um, EDI initiatives. Kevin Weeks is he, he although he's retired he's he's been able to lead lead the way with that as well, and even student athletes in in in, in my school are doing um, something similar and now they're they finally feel comfortable about talking about it so I I wish that the the NHL could advance a little bit faster though it's it's just uh, it's it's taken too long since 1958 when Willie O'Ree became the, the first black um, athlete in the NHL but yeah that that's that's just, those are just my thoughts on the NHL and uh, NHL, NFL, NBA is very similar to the NFL. Um, but I think they're a little bit better uh, with those kinds of things. I think, uh, what's his name? The new commissioner um, ousted Dan Sterling or Donald Sterling right away. Um, so I think the NBA is a little bit more advanced in, in EDI initiatives, but I, th I think uh, the NHL is maybe starting to get a little bit better. The NFL is definitely getting a lot better, um, but it's still still a long ways to go. And uh, with the NFL, there's always been this sort of, for lack of a better word, contentious relationship between the owners of the individual clubs and their and their players. And I use the example of uh, Houston Texans owner Bob Mc, uh, McNair in 2018, uh, referring to a. Uh, inmates running the prison when he commented on players protesting by refusing to stand for the anthem. And I'm wondering, did the Kaepernick kneel, in your opinion, start to shed a light on that contentious relationship and begin to start a uh, conversation on how to address it? Definitely. Um, I don't know of any other NFL specific moments that happened before 2016 to shed light on this. Uh, I don't think enough people kind of understood Kaepernick's um, Kaepernick's uh, action in 2016. Now they're starting to. Um, I think the one before 2016 would have been the 1968 Mexico City Olympics when uh, I think it was Tommy Smith and and John Carlos when they raised their fists in the Black Power salute. That was like one of the main, the first athlete-driven uh, social activist activist um, activities that we've seen and it kind of helped some of those future NFL NFL players NBA players NHL players um, see a better tomorrow see a better future as a black or racialized athlete um, but yes in 2016 it was kind of like the, the beginning of okay we've seen this way too we've seen this issue way too long Kaepernick started it he is very polarizing. People didn't know which side to be on, but now a lot of people do know um, that they need to be on the right, that or they they do know what the right side of history is now in 2021, especially after what happened a year ago. Um, but I do think it was the start and it was, it was brave because he didn't, he knew it was going to be hated by a lot of people, but it was a good uh, conversation starter. And do you believe after Kaepernick was released by the San Francisco 49ers, there has been a lot of discussion on whether or not that he was blacklisted from the league by the owners. And there's been conversations about different quarterbacks 
getting different, uh, getting backup jobs and whether or not Kaepernick received offers that he turned down. Lots of controversy on both sides of the argument why Kaepernick never made it back to the NFL. Do you believe that he was uh, blacklisted? Initially, yes. I think I'd use that term. Now, I think it shifted to more of a owners are scared to have him on their team because they're scared of losing a bunch of revenue from their maybe right-leaning fans. Um, I, I, it's just, I, I think they're, they think they're going to have way too much backlash to have a significant bottom line. I think they know that um, their numbers could drop. However, um, I do think that they're, they're underestimating the amount of merchandise revenue they can get from that kind of move. I know I would probably get a Kaepernick jersey if he signed with a new team. I think that would be um, a nice jersey to have. I think it was it's, it would be a very nice symbol to have um, for hope in the NFL. But I think that there's too many owners who are afraid of making that move and and being um, known as the owner who's too woke or has gone, gone woke and is going broke or something like that. Um, so I think initially blacklist was what was um, the initial term I would use. And then it, it kind of shifted to more of a fear. And on that same note, Kaepernick is now 33 years old. He's had endorsement deals and he's had an official workout uh, put on by the NFL. Do you think there's a chance that a Kaepernick could return to an NFL roster B uh, could get any playing time on an NFL roster and C even wants to return to the NFL at this point. I think there's reasonable doubt that he won't play a single down the NFL ever again. One thing I think about is he may return to the NFL to the organization of the NFL as uh in a position with the uh, an EDI community, the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee. I don't know if they have a specific committee in the NFL. Maybe a team could have one. Uh, I, but I do see him in one of those roles in either the NFL or uh, possibly with the ES or ESPN or, um, <coughs> or the NBA or the NHL. One of these EDI committees, I think he's too big to not have one of these roles. Um, especially with the amount of Black Lives Matter messaging around the league, around the NFL. I think there's a lot of potential for him to step into a role like that, where he can make changes at a higher level than if he was just a quarterback. And I actually have a question from a listener here who was excited to have uh, to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, Chris Pike, he says, I'd love to know what Alex thinks about Kaepernick being quote unquote blacklisted, even after the NFL has moved towards being symbolically supportive towards the same social movements that Kaepernick was trying to bring attention to? Well, again, uh, as I said, it was, in, it was an initial blacklist, I think, because there was, there was so much that owners didn't know about being a black person in the NFL. I think pretty much all owners are uh, white. I think um, there's one person who's not white, but there, no, there are no owners that are black that could understand the um, the kind of tragedy that's happened over the past few years and the lynchings that happened in in the 20th century. Um, 
but I, I, I do think that, uh, as I said, he can step into a role with the NFL as an EDI committee VP or something like that, uh, because I do know that they're doing a lot. They are beginning to understand um, that the injustice is happening in, in America, in Canada as well with indigenous peoples um, is, is being better understood by the higher ranks um, so it, I, I don't think his, um, uh, quote unquote blacklist will end, um, as, as it pertains to him playing in the league, but I think he can come back to becoming, um, uh, some sort of EDI VP or some, or, or in some league doesn't have to be the NFL. Um, it could be the NBA or the NHL or the MLB, or even, um, be an analyst with, with ESPN or something like that. So. I just don't know. I don't don't think he's going to come back, uh, even though I do see a lot more uh, messaging around um, social justice and Black Lives Matter. And just one final question about Kaepernick. Overall, despite everything that's occurred over the last five years surrounding Kaepernick, him being released, him being quasi blacklisted and um, and him most likely never returning to the, to an NFL roster. Do you think overall the message that he try, was trying to send was received? I think now it was. If I if you asked me four, three, four years ago, I would say it was mostly not received. Um, and though it was most one of the most polarizing moments in sports history when he started kneeling, the message that he portrayed on the world stage. And I say world stage, not national stage, because we now know we see um, these kind of protests happening across the world now is something we should all be listening to that he lives in a country that prides itself on freedom and liberty, but rears its head when black and racialized people are killed by police and, and um, at a disproportionate rate compared to white people. I, however, I may not agree with everything he did. That includes his stance on voting in the 2016 ele election. Um, he could have done that a lot differently. I think that was a swing and a miss when he didn't vote. So it, I just think that he did so much good up until that point and then just uh, didn't exercise his, his right to vote to make a change. I don't, one vote wouldn't have made a difference in the 2016 election, but I don't think it was the right move to make. Thank you so much for this conversation, Alex. We uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Make sure you check out Alex's work at the Western University Gazette and his associated work, which will be in the links in the description. Alex, thanks again for coming on. Hey, the pleasure's all mine. This has been This Week in Sports History. Thanks again to our guest, Alex McComb. Be sure to check out his work in the description below, and we'll see you again soon.